Okay, well for the benefit of the recording, we are on Tuesday the 14th of December. This is the afternoon session of our Google Docs and Google Apps session. We had some successful recording in the morning, and we'll be making these recordings available to everybody who registered and participated in the event that you want to access this again and uh, subject perhaps your family to you know hours of talk about Google in your drive that you'll have over the holidays or whatever you want to whatever you want to do with that. Um, I'm going to begin with a Super Bowl ad. Did you see Google Super Bowl ad this last year? Oftentimes I think the ads are the best part of the Super Bowl. Uh, so this is 30 seconds. I don't know how many thousands of dollars they spent to create this this moment, but uh, this is pretty pretty clever. There are all kinds of possibilities with what we can do with our Google tools. And one of the things I think I like most about these tools is the opportunity for creativity and the opportunity for collaboration and the chance to be able to work together to make things uh, together. I mean, this is part of what the world of work requires today more than ever, and uh, Google definitely uh, does a good job of, of, of empowering that kind of thing. Tomorrow, some of you are signed up to come back. We're going to do a full day with Google Maps and Google Earth. And if you're interested in attending tomorrow, we still have some slots. And so let me know if you want to, if you want to attend. Um, because that's, you know, Google Earth alone by itself, but Google Maps as well is just phenomenal. And people might think of that as just, oh, that's just social studies. Well, you know, Google, one of my favorite um, examples to show is Google Lit Trips, which we'll go into in more detail tomorrow, but a, a friend of mine, Jerome Berg, who's a retired English teacher in um, the, the Bay Area of San Francisco, has created this, and so for a lot of different books, um, for instance, my favorite is uh, in the K-5 section, there's uh, Robert McCleskey's Make Way for Ducklings book, which takes place in Boston. And so there's a complete virtual tour where we can follow exactly where the ducks went, where the, what the swan boat looks like. There's questions to ask before and after you read that section. You can have the 3D buildings, so when the officer helps them across the street, you can talk about just how traumatic that was for the ducks to face the street and the traffic and the, you know, the, the big Boston building. So um, that's going to that's gonna be tomorrow. What's that? What is that Google Lit? Google Lit Trips. In fact, I will put that. Um, My kids are elementary school teachers. So right. So uh, that's one of the benefits. And you'll in the same ch- uh, back channel that we're using for our text, we'll use tomorrow. And so any links and things like that. We mentioned before we started the Ustream broadcast, we were talking about 
parent-teacher conferences, and I put this link in there uh, to You Can Book Me. We're not going to really cover Google calendars in this session, but this is a really neat free tool that lets people book fixed-length time slots on your calendar. And it's an example of really a remix or a mashup because you've got a calendar and then you've got you know this other need and so you've put websites together. Uh, Google Lit Trips, similarly, it's a creative project. I mean, what can we do with an with a application that lets us locate things on the planet but also make place marks and then connect video and images and um, text to that? You know, what are the possibilities? There's, there's all kinds. Is that .org? It is .org, yeah. It is Google Lit Trips. And one of the best ways to find something like that is really to Google it. Even though I knew the web address, um, I actually went to Google and uh, typed in uh, Lit Trips. In fact, you don't even need to Google Lit Trips, and it'll come up as the first hit out of 3.3 million. And Jerome's gotten, he was recognized actually by Microsoft, ironically, uh, recently as, for a, uh, as an award winner for that project. And so there's teachers around the world who are creating those, and students are too, and then sharing those so that, you, that you, know, you can use that as you do different works of literature. I like Homer's Odyssey um, as another example. There's two versions of that, one that's around the Mediterranean as a whole, and then one that's just around Greece, depending on how you interpret how Homer wrote that. So we are going to, today, uh, this afternoon, uh, talk some more about forms and spreadsheets, and then we're going to move into presentations and drawings. We've got basically three hours to do that, and we will take a break about 2.15 or so. Make sure you get my attention and make sure we take that break. Which I'm sure we but what I'd like to do, we started at the end of the, of the morning by showing you how to create a form. I want to all take a use a form right now to, to, to show how this works and then talk a little bit of it more about how forms can be used in the classroom. So on our page for our resources, if you scroll down on the right side under Activity 2, Forms Fun, who are we? There are two links, one that says complete this survey and one that says view the results. I will go ahead and copy the link and put that into our back channel. I'll say please fill this out. And so you can get to the link either place. If you're in the back channel, you can click the link that I've just put in, or if you want to scroll down on our handout page under Activity 2, the link is Complete the Survey. As a technique, I will be right-clicking on my Mac, control-clicking links, and opening them in another page so that I still have my original page of links over here, and then I've got my new link over here on the side. I want you, would like you to go ahead and fill this survey out. So this is actually how I'm taking attendance today. I didn't do this in the morning, but um, I've got all the registration um, information, so don't need your first and last name, just your first name. But go ahead and fill this information out. And what this will do, because I've set the form up in this way, is not only give me the information, but it's also going to make this information public, and we're going to be able to see some graphs that will be created dynamically with the information we put in because I've chosen to turn on those sharing options. Now, this is a survey that I actually copied, and obviously it is catering more towards thinking about teachers, so as far as your role, um, 
you, if you're not sure, you can put everyone. It doesn't really... won't be critical there. The question about learning new things is a pretty interesting one. I heard someone... Is it getting warm in here again? Or is it just me? All right, tell me if we need to adjust the... I'm having a hot flash, forgive me. Um, Somebody talked about procedural and navigational learners. Most adults, especially a lot of teachers, are procedural learners. Give me this step, and then this step, and then this step. You know, sequential. A lot of kids are navigational, and I don't even know what the breakdown, if we did a survey, that would be an interesting study and survey to do. But my sense is that you know, kids tend to be more navigational, and they'll jump in and try it and just kind of experiment around. We all can move between both learning styles. Sometimes we have to force kids to be procedural. You know, how do I do this? Well, did you read the instructions? No, I didn't. Well, go look at it. You know, did you check the help? Did you, did you see what the help file said? And similarly with teachers, sometimes we need to encourage that navigational learning. Experiment with this. Give this a try. I'm going to show you a few things. Now I want you to go play with it because taking that time to play with it is a vital part of and they always learning. Handouts. Yes, right. And that's why even, even for today, this is a really big thing. Like I said, for our Oklahoma Voices Project, we do a 20-something page handout. I really decided, nope, we're just not going to do that because I think we need to, to break ourselves of that paper addiction. You know, we, And I use paper, too. I write stuff down. What I find, though, is that if I write it on paper, it's quite easy for me to lose that and for that to get put in a stack and not to remain relevant. But if I make it electronic, I put it on my mobile device or in a Google Doc or another place, which, if you don't know about Evernote, it's free. It works on a website, and it also is an application. Their little symbol is the elephant to remember everything. I try and put my notes into Evernote or on a Google Doc because then they're searchable. Yeah, I remember somebody told me about that chicken restaurant, but I don't remember where I put that piece of paper. I can put the word chicken in here and turn up every note that has the word chicken. That's a little food example. But having your notes searchable is a really powerful thing. And I think we need to encourage this movement to the web when I was in Yarmouth, it's the first time I visited a school where they have a minimum web presence expectation for teachers. Everybody, at a minimum, will share their assignments on the web, and then they can go on from there. But I really think we need our schools moving in that direction where it's not, it, it's not the technology makes us good teachers and makes us good communicators, but it can sure amplify communication and it can sure open doors that weren't, you know, open previously. And we've talked about portfolios a little bit today. There's various ways in which this is important, but making it digital is a good shift for us to make. So Uh, it's also a good cost-effective way to do it, right? Because the cost of me providing handouts to you today is what? Free, right? Um, As an aside, I have registered my domain, westfriar.com, and I register my domains on GoDaddy. Anybody guess how much it costs to own a domain per year? Twelve bucks. All right. So for twelve dollars a year, I own westfriar.com. And then 
Google Sites lets you map things for free, like I have wiki.westbrook. That's a little aside, but I've, I host my, my stuff different places, and I've done different companies, and people charge you different fees. But if you're paying more than about $12 for a domain per year, so you've got to renew that every year. But if you're paying a lot more than that, you know, somebody's taking the money in between. You can, you can get it for that, that cheap. And not everybody's going to want to have their own domain, but it's a good idea to be working on the web and doing these kinds of electronic things. So, all right. So, as you submitted your form, if I had wanted to, on this form, and you can see that I copied Sally's form, and I didn't change, change her name, I could have checked that box that says publish results, and what that would do is show me right here a summary of the results of my form. What I'd like for you to do now, if you go back to our homepage that has all of our results, underneath where it said complete the survey, there's the link that says view the results. And if you'll click that link, this is going to open the version of the survey, which is the spreadsheet. And it has our, um, it has our results. Actually, and I, I, I don't even know how to do this. It has our results color-coded. What, what do you notice about the colors? Anybody, what do you notice about colors? Answers are color-coded. What's in red? Yep. So you can visually, real quickly, pick out what are, are people hating. Um, how do you think we did that? Or how do you think Sally did it? Because I actually borrowed her survey. Anybody here an Excel guru? You can just change the color of the cells. Could, but I haven't done that. This happened automatically. Yes. Yes. So there are formulas in Google Spreadsheets, just as there are in Excel, to do a wide variety of different sophisticated things. Like, in this case, color code the response according to the legend that I, you know, specify in advance. This is really fancy. In fact, this is the first time I've seen a Google uh, form that does this. Why is that important as far as visual coding? You look at it at a glance and see how many people hate something. Filter it out. You can readily, you know, take a look at it and be able to identify some things. Um, using data and helping students learn to use data effectively to answer questions and make changes in what we're doing. For instance, if I was going to have my my dog come in here today and be a guest, be, be a guest uh, in our audience, you know, we don't have anybody who said they hated dogs, so I could rule that out. I don't I don't have any of my dogs for coming today. Anyway, there's different ways that we can change what we're doing. A lot of times in A lot of times in college classes, if you have this happen where the professor starts the lecture 
the first day, and I'd like to know what you'd like to know, and they give you that. And then, well, that's nice, here's your syllabus, this is what we're going to do. You know, there's no change or accommodation of your learning objectives. Uh, it was just sort of a little dance that you did to fill time during the first class period. We can truly customize learning today to the needs of our students and the, the, the knowledge base and skill base of our students collecting live data. Can we contract with companies and hire them to give us surveys? Of course we can. And, you know, does anybody know how much we pay Pearson as a state? I'd like to do that study. I'd like to do that study. How much are we essentially throwing down the toilet instead of you know paying teachers and doing other things? We can create assessments. We can create live interactive polls that help us do administrative things. One of the great ways to use Google Docs as an administrator is for your walkthroughs. Okay, you can have on your mobile device, you know, iPad, Android phones, iPhone, whatever. You can have the survey, fill it out. You know, what am I looking for? Put that information in. Have it go into the database. <coughs> but I want you to think not just in terms of instructional administrative things, but also think about students um, when they're collecting data. One of my favorite examples, and this was a website we used called Poll Everywhere, but my daughter, who is now in fifth grade, um, had to do a little survey for school, and she chose to do it about Girl Scout cookies. So she's a Girl Scout and wanted to find out what people's favorite uh, Girl Scout cookies were. And so I think this is still available. <laughs> So here's the result, and she did this with Poll Everywhere. And how cool is it that, you know, we surveyed a couple hundred people, and yes, 42% of them, you know, a full 64 out of 154 people. You know, 42%, like the thin meant the best. I was excited Samoa had been off to an early start, because it was my favorite, or is my favorite. But being able to create surveys, create graphs, look at that data, analyze that data, any past connections here, you know, of course, all of those uh, kinds of skills are in the past and things that we need our students to be able to do. So, on our survey result here, um, if you're familiar with Excel, you are familiar with worksheets, and we've got worksheets that are down here at the bottom. And I have a button here where I can click a plus. And what do you think that'll do? Add a new sheet. Add a new sheet. Okay, right at the bottom. So I can add a new worksheet. I can click on this and rename the worksheet. And I can call that graph or whatever I want to do. And I can come in and um, create things like charts that use the data from my spreadsheet. So um, there are recommended charts. I can create line, line charts, area charts, columns, bar graphs, scatter plots, pie charts, all of those kinds of things. And I have to have a selected range of data that I'm going to use. So I will select my data. Uh, let's pick what people's roles uh, or what we said the roles would be. So I'm going to come down and highlight. What do I press on my keyboard to select more than one cell? Shift, shift usually, uh, sometimes control. I could 
you know, type the syntax for that, but I'm also able to just highlight and select and click OK. And so now I have, I have selected um, the chart um, that I'm going to have. If I wanted to use the header row, which I probably you know, should have done, I can select that. And then I check the box that says use row one as a header. So it's going to say my role focuses on technology. Um, and I think I want a pie chart. It says it doesn't match the current data. So maybe I need to just use a column chart. Like other kinds of objects that we can edit, um, you're going to be able to edit your charts. And I wonder, that I, because I'm not numeric in this. I would think that it would be able to do a comparison. Let me try. Let me try again, and I'll do. I'll do the numeric one, and we'll see. There's different ways that you can adjust charts. Like we can count for certain things, and you know, count this number. There we go. Is that right? Clearly, Wes is going to need to work on his graph skills a little bit to get that mastered. Um, your same Excel options that you have to be able to create graphs and charts are here inside Google Documents um, to be able to take your data. This is nice because it provides a visual you know, output where I'm not going to necessarily have to uh, graph that in order to you know, be able to identify trends and pick out outliers and things like that. Um, but anyway, that's an example. So we've just basically taken attendance today with our spreadsheet. Now, I'm going to turn this form off so that nobody else will fill it out. And underneath my form column, and again, you have a different set of choices, right? That's because I let you view the spreadsheet but not edit it. So you only have the opportunity to see it and then the chance to copy it and make it your own. But you can't do all of these things. I can now turn off responses. So I turn off my form. And by default, that's always selected. But once I do that, if somebody else tries to fill out my form, this is what they see. It looks like the form, who are we and why are we here, is turned off. Try contacting the owner if you think this is a mistake. So that ability to turn a form on and off, also to be able to clear out responses. How do you think I would delete responses here if I wanted to get rid of them? How would you do that in Excel? You could hide columns. Uh, you can also delete columns, okay? You would select the column on the side, and then you would choose to do something. Um, you would choose to either... Clear the selection. 
you could you can clear the selection, which would erase what's inside, or you can actually delete the whole thing. One of the things that I do with surveys, and we do this with our Oklahoma Voices project, is I will duplicate the survey. So I'm going to duplicate what I have here, and it creates a copy of the sheet. And so then I'll rename this and say uh, 14 December 2010. And now I've got all of my data here. I can safely remove all of these responses. And I usually just select them and delete them. And now I've got a blank form to be filled out again. So that would be one way if I had multiple classes that were going to come in. I have all my data right here in my other worksheet. And I did that with the duplicate command. So let's take a look at a video that talks about how you can use Google um, Forms to create an online quiz. And then I'm going to give you a little more time to experiment with your form. And we're going to put our links to our form into our page. And we'll take each other's forms. And we'll spend a little bit more time working on this. So this is a short video that describes um, the process of making a quiz, which actually will grade it itself. And there's going to be limits to what you can do with this. But it's going to show you some of the some of the possibilities with formulas that you can do with Google spreadsheets. To create an online quiz using Google Documents, go ahead and log on to your Gmail account or your Google Documents account and click on Documents. Go ahead and maximize that. Go to File, New. Go to Form. I'm going to label this Civil War Quiz. My first question, I'm going to have it named for my student name. I'm not going to put last name first. This way, students' names can be alphabetized real quick to put in the gradebook. I'm going to put in text. I'm going to make this a required question because I want their name on each one of these. I'm going to click Done. Notice the questions appear as you go along. I'm going to add another question. I'm going to do a multiple choice. This question is, who was president during the Civil War? I'm going to put a question mark. For which country? I'm going to Option. Jefferson Davis, Abe Lincoln, or U.S. Grant. I'm going to click Done. I'm going to add another question. This time I'm going to go to checkboxes. This question is, list the names of the USA during the Civil War. Check all that apply. North. South. 
Yankees. Rebels. is going to be an essay question. So I'm going to go down here and choose paragraph text. Write a detailed description of the Battle of Vicksburg. Must be at least a paragraph. Click done. Click save. You can click on this bottom web address to go check your quiz out. Maximize. I'm going to put Smith John who was president during the Civil War? Ooh, that's a good question. I meant to put USA, but we'll just ignore that. <laughs> names of the USA during the Civil War? The North, the Yankees, the Union. And write a detailed description. I'm just going to put blah. Blah. I'm going to click Submit. I'm going to X out of that. I'm going to go back to my Google Docs form. I'm going to hit refresh. Here's my Civil War quiz. And notice John's paper is already there. John Smith, Abe Lincoln, the North, the Yankees, the Union. His description was blah, blah. And so you are ready to create the quiz. Okay, now... What I thought this one was going to have, and I've seen some before, is you can actually create the quiz so that it grades itself when it is a multiple choice. And you will do that with a formula. Does anybody know what formula um, we might use to, to grade a quiz? You're going to do that in Excel. What's that? Yep, exactly. If, right? If this equals that then you show such and such. So in on your uh, Excel, in fact, why don't you open up a spreadsheet? Um, go to your Google Docs and open a spreadsheet. Just open up a new one. And then type some information into your spreadsheet. Um, like you can do somebody's name, and then just do some answers. I'm just going to do some numeric answers um, in, in the blocks. I am not a guru of Excel, but I've played, bless you, played with Excel some. And um, there's a, a web link that I'll share, too, about functions in Google Spreadsheets that are supported. Because there's all kinds of things that you can, that you can do. There is a button here at the top, along with bolding and changing color and changing your, the cells that are outlined and alignment, all that. There's one that is the, I think that's the summation signal. Is that what that is? Do you, does anybody know what that is in Greek? 
Sigma? All right, cool. So <laughs> the frequently used sum, average, count, max, min are there. But then you can also choose more formulas. And so here we have a sort of formula wizard that tells us all these different formulas that are possible. And um, one of the ones that I want to look for, um, mine says it's still loading. I want to look for if. So I want to... Uh, I think it's under logical, yeah. So mine didn't load properly, so I don't know if you saw what I did. I just closed it up, open it again, and that, you know, that can happen when you've got lots of people on the same wireless for different reasons. So categories where the functions are here, the functions are over here. Under logical, the one that I want to look for is if, and it gives me the syntax, okay? So what I would do is, and the syntax is, if blank, then um, show another value, otherwise this value. So I'm going to say, basically, if it's the correct answer, say um, correct, and if not, say incorrect. So, so I'm going to double-click the logical was the one I did. So what I'm, I'm, let's say the answer to my first one is correct answer is a one. I'm going to say if a one comma correct comma false. And I think I have to have quotation marks around text strings. Ta-da! That's a very basic formula. Should I do that again? Okay. In the field, I click on the sigma button, and I go to more formulas. I mean, it might be easier. We could have started with easier formulas like sum. You know, it's just going to add them all together. You're going to define a cell range, and it's going to add them. But I went to the logical category. When you click on it once, it shows it to you. When you double-click it, it puts it in. And I would recommend looking at it first to identify the syntax of it. There are three pieces to this formula. If blank, you're testing for that result, do, you know, display something, otherwise display something else. The way to do a self-grading quiz is you put the correct answer in here. And if it's correct, you'll say correct. And if it's not, you'll say incorrect. So when I double-click this, it puts the formula in here, and then I put in my syntax. So if it's 1, I'm going to say correct. And if not, I'm going to say incorrect. Now, there it's, it shows that I'm correct. What's going to happen if I change this field um, That's right, because it should. I should say it what the f the form formula is, right? You can feel free to help me out here if I'm messing up. It's too hard to see. All right. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the advanced sections of Excel formulas, but I'm going to point this out because 
it is possible to not only just collect your data and to have it aggregated and be able to see it in the spreadsheet form, but you can even create quizzes that grade themselves. Now, is it easy? Is it what's easier to do? Use Moodle and make a Moodle quiz, or do what's easy? I don't know. <laughs> Depends on your environment. I mean, it takes time to do it in either place. But the point is, who can create these? Anybody with a Google account. Your students can do this. You can do this. You can share these. You can reuse these over and over again. Students don't have to log into an account in order to create them. So this syntax is saying, if cell B1 has a 1 in it, say correct. If not, say that it's incorrect. And um, what should happen when I change this number, I'll try to zoom, I'll, you can change your column widths, okay, just like you would in Excel by dragging at the top. And when I have a formula like this, I'm just going to try and move these so we can see all this at once. The correct answer in this one was 1. So when I have a 2 in it, it's going to say that it's incorrect. When I change that to a 1, what do you expect this to do? Change to correct, and it does. Okay? Because it's a formula. It is looking over in this field to say, what is that? And it's going to show a response you know, over here. All right. That may be a little bit advanced for where we should start with our Google uh, Our, our Google um, forms. So why don't I um, do this? I'm going to give you some time to talk about Google Forms with your neighbor. Talk about, um, we, we've already talked about possibilities for how we can use the uh, Google Documents. Talk about the what was confusing to you about what we just talked about with Google Forms and um, what, are you, what do you want to know how to do next? All right, I'm going to give you about 90 seconds to talk with your neighbor about that. Okay, talk about what we've just discussed with Google Forms. What was confusing? What do you want to learn how to do now? Is it warm in here now? Yes. Okay, I think it is. I'm going to...
So Terry in our back channel uh, pointed out that she's confused about how to do the chart, and I admitted, yes, my chart demo was quite poor. So I'm going to show you a video here in a minute uh, demonstrating how to do the chart, because that is something that I have done before, but I haven't actually done that recently in the Google spreadsheet. Um, so we'll do another demo of that. What, what else did you all talk about with your neighbor as far as an idea that you had or something you were wondering about or confused about in addition to the chart? So are you saying diet? Like after you collect all the responses, can you? Right, definitely. You can use a formula that that you know counts. You can use the count or you know the if or those other kinds of logical formulas, and you know then change the display of, of what you're seeing. You and know. would it give a percentage of? Certain responses that mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You can make your formula display the percent and, and sum that. Okay. Add those up. I have a question. Yes. And you may have answered this, and I Okay. If you're doing like having them write an essay in the form, right? Can you do comments and stuff when you? No, not readily. Okay. So you would, if you're providing that feedback. Um, you know, a learning management system like Moodle or like WebCT or something like that is going to be best for doing those kind of things because when you give them right. a grade, you can have a comment field and those kind of things go back. Okay. So you're going to have to have another place to, you know, provide that feedback and okay. be able to share that with so them. So using the Google Documents, you can't use the comments on, on Well, that. actually, that's an idea. Like, you could literally <coughs> use Google Docs all year. You could have a Google Doc for each one of your students, and you could have that as sort of your running feedback, you know, for assignments and things like that. It would be private in between you and the student. You can use comments. You can use, you know, all of those features, links, things like that. So that's, you know, some of this, I mean, I think it, it most readily works when we're doing surveys. We're fitting it into the classroom. We're fitting it into instruction. Um, so in terms of providing the feedback and that, we'll have to think creatively, you know, how to do that. But uh, Combining that with a Google document might be one way to do that. One thing that I didn't show that's a real basic um, is simply how to sort responses, right? This is the survey for today's lunch. What kind of a lunch did you want to have? When I get my results at the top, there is a selection to sort A to Z or Z to A. 
So I can click that, and that was what the the teacher was talking about having last name, first name. You know, here's here's our responses, but you put first name first, so that's how they're alphabetized. Sometimes you'll break the question up. What's your last name? What's your first name? You know, that way you can sort by last name. But that ability to be able to sort does not change your data, does not edit anything in any of the fields. It keeps all the row data together, but it sorts it so that they are in order according to that particular row. Now, I will say that when you're using a Google form, you want to be careful. Let's, let's check real quick. Are we doing okay, uh, remote folks, with our audio? Looks like we're doing okay. You want to be careful dragging and dropping and moving your forms around. The reason is it's created a form that's connected to this spreadsheet. And if I just pick up this column D and drag it over to move it like I can, um, it'll actually warn me, hey, performing this can make a form not work anymore. You want to be careful of that. So I'm not going to do that on a, on a form that I've created. But when I just have a regular spreadsheet, I can move these things around. I can change the order of the columns. Um, I can sort them and do that kind of thing. Let's look at this video real quick. This is a short video. Um, I just, what do you think I Googled? How to create a chart, Google spreadsheet. <laughs> and I selected the one that was created by the user Google Apps. They have 335 videos. So this is an official video that Google's created. Because obviously anybody can create a screencast about this. Uh, but this is one that Google has actually created. Um, and so this one's 57 seconds long. Let's take a look at this. To create a chart in Google Spreadsheets, first select the data within your spreadsheet that you would like to create a chart of. Then go to the Insert menu and select Chart. Here you can specify the type of chart that you would like to insert, as well as verify the data that you would like to use. You can see a preview of your chart down here in the preview box. You can also add labels to your chart as well as specify if you would like a legend and where it should go. You can save the chart, which will now appear in your spreadsheet. If you would like the chart to be within its own sheet in Google Spreadsheets, click on the chart, click the right arrow next to the chart, and select Move to Own Sheet. Now your chart has its own sheet within your Google Spreadsheet. You did a lot better job than I did, didn't I? <laughs> So I will put this um, a couple different places. I'm going to share this, how to create a chart. So where, where did I mess up when I was doing it? And really selecting the data, right? They selected their data, highlighted it first, and then they said make a chart. I think I probably could have done My data was also not clean like hers, right? Hers was all numeric. She had three different rows. You know, so it was in the selection of the data. The other thing that I'm going to do is, I mean, I like that video. I think that's a pretty good video. I'd like to include it here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to edit our page that we've got for our workshop today. And, again, this is in a Google site where I can embed and put things. Underneath um, this this video, I'm going to make a space, and I'm going to say, I want to insert a new video. 
It's a choice that it gives me to insert a YouTube video. And I can put in the link to that address and save it. And now, to finish the saving, when you refresh our page, underneath the, the uh, video here that says Google Spreadsheet Charts, there's this one that says Insert a Chart into Google Spreadsheet. All right, it's, it's there as well. Um, let's go ahead and take a look at this. This was the selected video that they had, um, which was not an official Google one. Let's take a look at this one. This is well, Google Sunday again. They've added another feature to their, their web apps. This time it's uh, Google Spreadsheets, and it's the ability to create charts. Very cool feature. Um, I've just edited some... I think that was, relatively speaking, a poorer video choice than the first one. Well, Google Sunday again. They've added... I'm not sure why that one was in there. All right, so I'll delete that one. That was kind of weird. I thought that was going to be a two-minute and four... 14 second one. I think it is, and maybe it just it didn't load completely. Let's try this again. As a tech, I don't think that one. It says it's 2 minutes and 14 seconds long. Alright, I'm not going to play that one. Um, what I'd like to uh, ask you to do is what you see under activity three as a suggestion. You do not have to create a form for teacher observation. You can just think about data collection that you would like to do. Um, but you can edit the form that we started before lunch, and I would like for you to add some different question types. I would like for you to select a theme, and I would like for you to put your link to your survey into our back channel so that we can take each other's surveys and take each other's forms. This is one of the assignments that I require my pre-service teachers. Well, I didn't this semester. Last semester at UCL, I, in the spring, I did, uh, requiring them to create a form and a survey, and we take each other's forms and surveys um, to be able to share them. So if you've already mastered the basics and you would like to create a branching survey, I'll help you do that. You just do that with different pages. Um, but I'd like to give you about 15 minutes of time, basically, to create a form, and then I want you to take a look at the three different ways of looking at it. You've got the form itself, the live web form, um, which is the one people fill out. That's the public version. You have the uh, data here that is collected, and then you have the, edited, the editable form. And after you create it the first time, you have to go up to the form menu and choose edit form to have that menu displayed. This is what came up first when we created our forms today. All right? And it's a little confusing. I want you to work in it to be able to see how those three work together. This is where you build your form. You've got the public form people see, and then you have your data in your spreadsheet. And if you want me to help you write a formula or do something advanced like that, we can. But at a minimum, I'd like you to create a, a form that has a couple questions, put a theme on it, and then share that link so that we can um, take each other's surveys. I'll give us about 15 minutes to do that. If you've got a question in the for any of our remote sites, go ahead and post that and we'll respond to that during this time.
right, Russ is fast. He's already put his form in there. Good. Russ has created a survey to assess the quality of his virtual workshop today. If you're, since you, you went ahead and created that two-question survey, if you want to go ahead and add some, you know, some other features to that, some different question types, or if you want to try to create that branching survey, go ahead and give that a try. We'll give people about 13 more minutes here to work through these options.
surveys and fill out some of their surveys and put yours in there as well.
Terry, on your, did you find it, or is that you, or is that another Terry? Did you put this one in, or is that something else? <coughs> that's a different Terry. Okay, we've been in you're in IE. That's right. So Terry with that ends with an I. Is she, is she here or remote? She's in the chat. Okay. Terry, you, what you want to do is look at your Google form at the bottom of the editing, the edited version. When you, go, when you go to edit your form, there's two ways to do it. You can come up here to form and say go to live form. That will take you to that live version. Or when you're editing your form, you go up to form and choose edit form. At the very bottom of the page is the live link to view the published form here. 
Again, think about there being sort of three faces to a Google form. The public form that everybody gets to see, but they don't get to change. All you get to do on that is submit information. That's the public form that's, that you fill out. That's the pretty one. There you go. That's right. You've got the spreadsheet one, okay, which in this case is prettier than most because it's color-coded with fancy formulas. But that's the spreadsheet. That's your data. And the third one is where you build the form. When we created it, it brings this screen up first. To get back to that, under the form menu, you choose edit form. And this takes you back to that same interface where your questions are. You should be able to drag them around, change your theme. Now, something I didn't uh, show earlier, if you, you can see the summary of responses without enabling everybody to do that. And when you are editing your form, there's the choice for more actions, but there's also see responses. And when you choose to see the summary, here's where it creates the graphs. Ah, look at this. That's so much nicer than what I tried to do. So there's, this is for our graph. So of, for our folks, eight of us said teacher, two of us said student, three said IT, three said admin, and then four said other. And so we've got nice little percentages and bar graphs here. Um, it looks like, you know, ten of us participating today are focusing on technology. We've got other folks on English, and then everybody. We've got a wide gamut of answers on learning new things. Most common response was two. We have a lot of love it and like it animals. Nobody hates animals here. One person thinks, thinks they're okay. <laughs> cell phones. We've got a bunch of cell phone lovers and likers. Smell of fresh paint. Uh... Mostly neutral, and then uh, like email. So that is great. That's a live summary. That's a graph created automatically by the form. The way to get to that was when I'm here in my form view, which, again, I can get to by saying form, edit form. At the top, there's a choice to see responses. And that's where I was seeing those responses. I actually think this is a better, you know, interface for viewing responses than just looking at the spreadsheet, you know, because these are nice graphs. They're aggregated. They're colored, you know. So do we need our kids to be able to, you know, make graphs from scratch? Yeah, that's a good thing to be able to do. But isn't it nice, sort of like using a calculator also, to have a tool like this that creates those kinds of dynamic graphs and, and those aggregated graphs? Because ultimately, we're probably not using the tool just to use the tool. We're using the, the tool to answer questions and to be able to find out information. All right. If you didn't fill out somebody else's graph, uh, if you didn't fill out somebody else's um, survey, go ahead and take a minute or two. We've got a bunch of links that are there in our spreadsheet. And click on one of those and uh, take that survey so you give them some answers.
I think we'll go ahead and take our afternoon break now. Um, so I'm going to set our timer for about 10 minutes. We'll take a break. And feel free to do whatever you need to do. If you want to continue filling out some more survey results for other folks in our class, feel free to do that. And we will get started here again in about 10 minutes.
there's one thing that drives me crazy because I have to, when I schedule classes and I send out confirmations to students to make sure they show up, and Google Mail, you can't, uh, like you can in Outlook, you know, you can tell me you can't look to see if they've read it or if they've opened it or, yeah. We can't that. check on our hearts. Well, when you say we can't check on outgoing, we can if it's internal. They, uh, they won't even let us use um, Outlook, though, with our two-truth kit. Yeah, we can't so. use Outlook. We have to use Nobel. And the, thing, the other thing is, is you can't share anything with two-truths. We can't share. We can't do uh, groups. Unless you create a trail. But if I create a group of freshman teachers, and have it for mine, I can email them. But he can't use mine unless he creates But I do like the calendar better on this than calendar. I've heard teachers, but I've never heard anything good about it. That's why we keep it in our cycle. Well, they used to be our security, but we've changed security now. Change from their email to have a new problem with my web because they have service. Now, they can't, like, find into their personal accounts from 
Uh, they can on ours. They can get on YouTube, but they can't sign into their personal account. They can't, they can't sign into their own. They can't share their They can on ours. We have the Gmail domain, but there's something going on that we don't. I mean, we have the app, Google Apps domain, but we don't have the Gmail yet. You may not, they may not have turned it on because they can turn on different parts well, of it. something about we have to think of a good domain name to put because we can't use the mid dash shell on it. Uh, or mid dash shell. I don't know. Huh? I don't know. I just don't want it to. I can't, I can't remember what the reason is. They want you to be was. rogue. They want us to be different. And no one's been created because of the one that they like to Okay, you set it up the, the G the, the G documents or whatever to set it up for the school account. What do I Google search on that? What am I looking for? Google Apps for my domain or Google Apps for Education. Here, let's do it. Google Apps for Education. Yeah, it depends on what your your institution organization turns on. So um, there's a lot of, uh, of parts of it that they can do. Generally, most people will turn on, at, at minimum, the Gmail, the calendar, and the docs. There's Blogger. There's, you know, other sites. Yeah, they can turn on sites. Um, so... Yeah, this is tough. It's tough to get through this part. It is. Yes, officially we have been on break. <laughs> you have 17 more seconds. <laughs> <laughs> A little more time. I'm trying to get in the habit of doing my notes online because I, I, I got an Evernote on a, my iPad and thing. It's just getting out of that habit of writing things. Right. And I draw, I do and I'll draw arrows, and I'll do this and that, and highlight them. I guess I could do, like you said, go in afterwards with the one that's there. Yeah, I mean, I, and I've had to do that where I've written a bunch of notes, and then I'll go back and, and, yeah. and put, you know, the good stuff in. Because what I just find is if I don't do that, you know, it, it's just a matter of relevance. How long is that going to remain relevant to me when it's in paper form versus electronic form, there's just a great, much greater chance that it's going to be relevant if it's digitized right. than if it remains on paper. Okay, well we are going to, well, before we shift, let's let's have some open Q&A uh, or comments. We've gotten a chance to practice, do the hands-on. What were some of the things you picked up on doing it yourself that you wouldn't have learned if I had just shown you and not had that hands-on time. Anything that you picked up on or learned during your hands-on time? The different ways of the form, you mean, having those three different versions? Or no, else? looking at viewing the data. With the summary? Right, I didn't know the very end. It's really not right. And they've changed some things about how this how the spreadsheets show, but 
you know, it's a big thing is knowing that you can go up to this form menu. Okay? Because when you start, it just gives you the editable form. When you go back, you're like, you know, how do I how do I get back? It's under the form menu. And that's where there's multiple choices there, embedding, accepting responses. What else did you pick up on during the hands-on time? I was just being able to reorganize your questions and you didn't like the original order you typed them in. Yep, being able to move the questions back and forth. Again, that's something you want to do in the form edit mode, not the, the spreadsheet mode. And now it does warn you. It says, hey, if you do that, you know, you might mess it up. But if you're here in the edit form mode, it's okay. It's because there are scripts that are connecting these things together. And so <coughs> the, the form is smart enough to know if I change this order here, you know, change that one. Did anybody try a branch, branching one? Anybody try that? I've only done that once or twice. I don't know. It's easy enough to make another form, okay? You can also just make a parent form. Here's a student form. Send this one to parents or students, or have a web page. If you're a parent, click here. You know, if you're a student, branch it at that point, at the beginning. And, and sometimes simpler is better. In fact, a lot of times simpler is better. So, since it doesn't cost you anything extra to make an extra form. Let's look at our back channel. Any comments from anybody there as far as lessons learned? Okay, Terry says, Patty survey would not let me take the survey and said my account did not have permission. I know, I that was mm-hmm. Huh. So what that might have been was people shared a link to their spreadsheet instead of the link to your form. Because the spreadsheet itself is not by default shared. It will say at the top, pri- um, well, mine doesn't, but most yeah, of them will say private. Private to me. So you don't want to copy that link that's at the top of your spreadsheet. What you want to do is go to two ways. In the form menu, there's a choice that says go to live form. All right? If you're in Chrome, it'll give you a new tab. There's my live form. The other way to do that is when you're editing your form, form, edit form, it's at the bottom. Okay, it's this link at the bottom and that is in the black background. That is the one that you want to click. So I think we did have some people share that, share the link to their direct Google spreadsheet instead of the link to the form. And this is more complicated, right? I mean, there's three different ways to see this. The fact, though, like I told you, in 2005, it was my dream that my 20-some-odd students could assess each other and have that data just go right into a file and then be able to send that information back. Being able to do that this semester with my undergraduate students was, I think it was great because they picked up on things with each other's presentation that I didn't. They didn't just get one voice of feedback on their presentation. They got 26 voices. Now, I didn't give any grade, you know, they weren't graded based on their peer feedback. That was just to maybe benefit them to see how they could improve and how they could change. But, you know, think about that yourself as you give a presentation in class. Think about, you know, typically, it's just not worth the hassle to collect data from all 25 people and then pass that back. But doing it like this way, this way in a a Google form, um, what I was able to do was download the file 
and then just delete the, the rows that were pertaining to that student. So we had four presentations during the class period. I just, you know, duplicated that file four times and then just left only that student's feedback. So they didn't get others, or other students' feedback. They just got their own, and they got that Excel file. Anything else that folks learned or picked up on during the hands-on part? Patty, yeah. Good. Patty got five responses. How many of you got responses on your surveys? Okay. We certainly could have matched each other a little better and assigned partners. That was something I did this semester with my students. We had blog buddies. Okay. Rather than just saying, go out there and comment on each other's blogs, we said, you know, sign up for a partner. And every time you write a post or we have an assignment, I want you to read your partner's post and comment on it. You can comment on other people's too, but anyway, that worked out really well to make sure that people didn't get left out. If you got left out and you didn't get extra responses on your survey today, I apologize. But we were not quite as organized about making sure everyone had, had feedback. Any other questions that you'd like to ask about Google Forms and spreadsheets before we shift gears and talk about presentations? shift to talk a little bit about Google presentation. And has anybody yet used a Google presentation before? I see one nod. Um, this is, I've used actually, I would say, spreadsheets the least. I've used forms, but spreadsheets as just spreadsheets the least. Documents the most and, and presentations um, the second most. I'm going to uh, scroll all the way down. There's several, several different Google presentations actually that I've put here into our handout for today, our virtual virtual resources. And I'm going to scroll all the way down to the bottom and go to the link that says, even more, 32 interesting ways to use Google Docs in the classroom. I have a little remote, wireless remote. I'm going to click this little button here that's the full screen mode. And so this slideshow now goes into full screen mode. And with my cursor keys right and left, or this button, which will just advance up and down, I can now drive this presentation just as if it was PowerPoint on my own machine. Um, also, I can do a full screen in Chrome. Um, it's Shift-Command-F, but it'll just enter full screen. So I'm playing this off the web. You can play the same presentation for your students off the web. It's by clicking on the, the present option and the, um, the full screen option. If you are in here, go ahead and click view together in the bottom right corner. And we can have our own little side chat to um, join this presentation. And it'll probably take a second here because we're all going to join together. Um, and I'll just say, please share your feedback. And, again, this is connected to this presentation. And this same kind of interactive, um, the same kind of interactive window, this is available in documents, in spreadsheets as well. All right? So, 
This is a file actually somebody just shared on Twitter. Um, one of the hashtags I follow on Twitter is GCT, which is pound GCT for Google Certified Teachers. So Google Certified Teachers around the world, and they have something interesting to share, Google-related, put the pound sign GCT, and that's, in this case, how I found out about this. We asked about limits earlier, and this particular file has some in information about limits on how many collaborators you can have. So, 50 simultaneous collaborators can be in a spreadsheet at the same time. That's more than can be in a single Google document. And I definitely find it is a lot faster in the refresh and the update, and that's because it was a different tool that Google bought and the technology is different. So, you could use Google Spreadsheets in a collaboration session that you set up at the very beginning of class for your students. Idea number two is to share pulse rate data. So you, you create a single spreadsheet for the entire class. You can add the names of your students in the first few columns and pulse rates, and then you can measure pulse rates at different points, and then you can explore the difference between resting pulse rates and um, pulse rates after we've come in from recess. And we get to pool our data in this way. So we're not using a form, we're not having people, you know, fill out that, that public submit-only version. We're actually editing the spreadsheet together. And as it says here, accuracy and reliability, right? We're going to have self-reported data. We're also entering it together in the same space, so we can have mistakes in data entry. I mean, these are all real-world issues when it comes to, you know, survey data and collecting data and data analysis. In terms of limits... The limits currently on the number of folks who can edit simultaneously. Google Presentation will let 10 people edit a presentation together. Spreadsheets is 50, and it says 50 for a document. I don't recommend you have that many. I really recommend you break students into smaller groups and maybe have them in partners or at most groups of three or four. I find that with groups of three or four and a laptop, it's so easy for somebody to not do any work and just you know, be along for the ride. And that even happens with partners, so I really like partner groups better than um, having uh, you know, larger groups than that. However, um, we did a, sca a video scavenger hunt this semester. Have you all done any of that with flip cameras? Anybody have a tub with flip cameras? So awesome, because what does that flip camera have on the back of it? It has a single button that, you know, just big red button. This is an older Sony camera. It's one of the first uh, flash flip cameras to come out. But the, the flip is even easier with one red button. So we had 24 kids. We had 12 cameras. Um, we had interview questions. This was when the World Series was on. So they wanted to interview. Hey, you've got one. There it is, right there. How, how long have you had yours? We have these a few years ago. And how have you all used them up to this point? We've used them quite a bit for different... Um, we have WebQuest for video products and things, but the, the most use that we got out of them was when we did a kind of scavenger hunt for a campus visit for a kid in our Jewish grant, and they go out and film different things and put together videos of what they saw on their screen. Right. Well, some of my kids wanted to talk about the World Series, and so they interviewed people about being Ranger fans. I had a list of about maybe 15 different choices, and it was going to be, we did a little iTunes gift card prizes, because we got fun of it. But it was a race. You know, how many of these can you get? But the best one was on stress. And we had three questions. What things are causing you stress now? How do you deal constructively with stress? 
And what's the worst example of someone dealing with stress? You've seen at college. <laughs> so we had, as you might expect, some really interesting answers to that. But in the space of an hour, you know, 24 students went out, partners of two, collected the data. What did we find from a group standpoint? I think groups of three or four is, is actually advisable for that because somebody is doing the camera holding, but somebody can ask the questions, but not everybody's going to be comfortable with that and you know getting things situated. So I would do that with groups of three or four next time. But I would say that was the best activity uh, in addition to the scratch project that we did this whole semester because most of my students had not recorded with a flash-based camcorder. They had not recorded to YouTube before or uploaded. Um, I used a website called PixelPipe, which is free, and they had the login credentials to PixelPipe, and then all of our videos went on YouTube. So we had about 37 videos that students collected in about uh, an hour, and then they put them all on a website that we created for free with Google. So anyway, numbers of groups, that's an important question. Um, I think you probably want to keep under these limits and you know, have students work in, in smaller numbers of groups. Using a table in a document to facilitate collaboration. Um, documents are, um, it says open spaces and can exacerbate communication problems when collaborating. <coughs> Considering using a table when you're working in large numbers in a document. One of the reasons is it's like, what line are you on? Okay, well, I'm competing for that line and I'm clicking on that and moving that in. You set a table up, insert table then you've got rows and columns and those defined spaces for students to put their information in, and that can help with the collaboration, the structure, okay? That's kind of what we talked about earlier with the template that you can provide. This idea is a I am unique activity to model the use of a shared space. Ask your classes to work individually um, on, a, on a single shared document and can finish the sentence, I am unique because they can have three different answers not only will you learn about your students, but you'll also learn about each other because they're creating that in a shared space. Um, document statistics. Um, this is something just to know about Google Documents. The document will automatically have statistics to include a readability index. Um, you can use this for students as they write. Um, how many of you think translation would be handy? All right, several of you are working with Hispanic population, Spanish-speaking students. There is a translate option in Google Documents to be aware of. And this readability, have you done this before with Word, where you highlight a block of text and, and have the readability to say this is at an eighth-grade level, this is at a sixth-grade level? That same kind of thing is here. And then you also have counts, right, on characters, on words, paragraphs, sentences, those kinds of things. So help your students become more aware of the level at which they're writing, their word choice, think about sentence structure, all of those kinds of things. We talked about footnotes earlier, so never too early to think about attribution and helping students learn about that and showing them how they can add those footnotes. They may not be exactly perfect. We can use websites and things to get our MLA format or APAs, what we've used in college. Do you all use MLA at your schools? I think most K-12s are MLA. So. Whatever the format, the idea is we want to do proper attribution, and we want to show how that's built in. Um, collaborative homework. We are still oriented very much towards a do-it-yourself, work independently. Um, have you heard of the flipped classroom where teachers are providing their lecture on DVD or on reverse video for students? Reverse instruction, and kids come to class to work their problems and do their assignments. 
Think about how your assignments can be set up for students to be able to collaborate. In that video earlier we saw, they were talking about kids being online at 11 at night, often later. You get to see that in the document. You see what time did that revision take place? When was it edited? Oh, look, Joe just logged in right now before class. He didn't do anything all, you know, last week on the document. That kind of transparency is really important when it comes to assessment, especially if you identify it early, because you get to talk to Joe. What's been going on, right? And if we were just doing a face or paper-based activity, you know, I wouldn't have nearly as much insight into what my students were doing at home and outside of class as I can with the with the Google um, revision tracking. Publishing your presentation for protected sharing. So we're going to here in a minute get into how to make a presentation like this. And you can choose how you want to share it. And again, it can be public for everybody, or it can just be for your class. So you can you know, determine whether or not you want to let people edit your work or just view your work. Back channel. This is what we've got here. Um, so we can ask questions. Um, we can have the audience respond. Um, I'll ask a question to you now. What tools do you know of now to use a back channel? Give you a hint. We've used two of them so far today. Um, but are there any other tools that you know of to have a back channel? That's a text space where we can interact. A lot of times we notice that students might not be willing to raise their hand in class and be verbal in front of their peers. But if you give them a chance to be able to put that information into a text box or into a text chat, you hear more responses. You have a chance to hear more. And I'm all about, you know, transformative technology use. If I can have more students participating, I get more insight into what students know through my use of technology, that's, that's very positive. So, um, it, Etherpad, if you don't know about it, Jake put in here, is a, a free tool that Google bought and open sourced. And there's different websites that you can use to uh, create it. I think 15 people can be in it at the same time, but it really is nice because of that synchronous, we're all in the same spot uh, together. Um, putting in video and, and images. In the next section, when we're creating our, our Google presentations, I'm going to show you how to put an image in, and I'm going to show you how to put a video in, right? Inside your presentation. We are Living in a multimedia world, our students are surrounded with media all the time. We need to create with media. We need to share with media. Google Presentation gives you a chance to do that. And when it says inline, I didn't even know about this, uh, in the chat feature, um, I guess you can actually put in addresses and it will show them right in here. Can you think about how that might be problematic? Sure. That's why it's good to have an accountable environment. Right? If the kids are logged in and they have their Google accounts, we can see you know, who has joined. Um, and that's, that's an issue with Etherpad, too. Etherpad lets anybody get in and you don't have a login. Well, what's going to happen? We're going to talk about digital citizenship and responsibility and those kinds of things with students. We have not gone to the website for templates. However, here's an example of how I can include hyperlinks with my presentation and um, take a look at uh, a screencast of using templates with students. So I'm going to click this link. It's going to jump me out of my presentation. And now I'm on the website Jing, where someone has recorded a screencast to talk about using templates with students. Let's take a look at this really quick.
Today I'm going to show you how to use templates with your students in Google Docs. You have two choices. You can go to Google Docs, choose New, and then choose from Templates. Here you'll find many different types of templates. You can search presentations, spreadsheets, documents. You can even choose different categories to search. I like to start out searching students and teachers. They have research papers, book reports, science projects in here. But let's say I'm looking for something a little bit more creative. I want my students to write a proposal. I'm going to search all categories for proposals. Two results. I can preview the proposal. I can use the template. If I click this button, it will save it into my Google Docs account. I can rename it and make it my own. I can also embed this into a blog or a website. Let's say you can't find a template here and you would like to make your own. You just need to go to Google Docs, choose New, and what type of template you'd like. Presentation, spreadsheet, form, or document. I've already made a middle school lab report. This middle school lab report is one I want all my students to use when they're doing a lab and science class. I want to share it with my students. It's easier if you have a form with all your students' emails. Then you can just copy and paste them right into the box. Invite the collaborators. When the students get it, you should instruct them to go to File and Save as a new copy. When they save it as a new copy, they should definitely click on the title and rename the document. For example, They can title with their first and last name and what type of lab it was. The key, though, is to remember to tell the students to go to File and save as a new copy. That way they're not editing your template. Okay. Um, a recommendation that I've heard from a lot of teachers with regard to file naming is to have a common syntax, <laughs> just like we do headers and stuff like that on kids' papers saying, you've got to have your header or look like this. You've got to have your title, you know, your document, start with you, you know, Friar 6A, you're, or 6A Friar, whatever you're going to do for a syntax to help you, you know, keep those organized as students turn, turn them into you. Um, how many of you have used Jing uh, before for screencasting? Have you all done that? Another tool that I really um, love, and I've used this now for two semesters with my students for screencasting, is called Screener. It doesn't have an ER at the end, it's just screen and the letter R. It only lets you do five minute screencasts. Okay? It can't be longer than five minutes. If you got more than five minutes to say, you gotta do another one, okay, and chunk your information. But it records right from the web. You don't have to download software. You do have to have a Twitter account, but once you sign in, you record and you create your screencasts. And I really think that creating screencasts is a skill that all teachers need to have be able to record a, a piece of instruction and have that on the internet so that students can access it later and uh, be able to use that. 
Um, any other comments or thoughts about templates? Um, collaboration prior to a field trip. So um, field trips are great, wonderful opportunities for students to do all kinds of learning. And we generally do things, you know, in advance and after the fact to try and really amplify the learning that we're doing. So being able to um, collaborate, you know, using a document before a field trip. Um, this is talking about folder organization. So do you have any, do you have any students that are just naturally organized? With any of those? More often, we've got, you know, tracker keepers and folders that are just, you know, chock full of stuff that's junked in there and, you know, it's messy. So we need to be intentional about organization ourselves, and we can show our, show our students how to do that as well by using folders and then also using the search feature, okay, especially if we use good titles. That's why we title our documents descriptively, because those descriptions help us find our files and be able to locate them later. Um, revision lists. So if you're going to have lists of your students, um, you can indicate, you know, missing assignments and things like that. Um, or, you know, use colors in different ways to indicate groups that you're going to have. Um, again, notice the hyperlinks that are in here. So this example says, feel free to copy this example. There's a link. I can click this link. It's going to take me out of the presentation right to that actual Google spreadsheet that I can use with my students if I want to. So that is a great thing to be able to not reinvent the wheel if you see an example like this that you want to use. Um, buddy edit, so information reports or other type of writing have students assigned to be able to work with a buddy and a partner and be able to do partner editing. Um, reading response, so reading response journals. Um, all of these were commit, submitted by different teachers, so this is Lee Newton. At least put the link. Um, who she's in Azerbaijan, isn't that cool? Uh, here's the link to her website to be able to connect. Which that's another whole element of this collaboration thing is being able to, you know, collaborate with teachers that we probably wouldn't be able to traditionally collaborate with before. Um, setting up Google Forms um, for student feedback. We've definitely been talking about those examples today. Um, this is, I don't know what that is, student feedback. Jank. Does anybody know what that is? I think this is basically assignments, and they're, show, and they're showing, you know, what's completed and what's needed. Um, I don't know what Jake is. Is it her? What does it say that Jake is? I won't say responsibility. There we go. Okay. Oh, I hadn't heard that before. Dynamic visualization. So being able to um, create data sets and... I hadn't heard of this either. Use Exhibit to create websites with advanced text and filtering. So, um, huh. Exhibit lets you easily create web pages with advanced text search and filtering like interactive maps, timelines, and other visualizations like these. All right. That was on uh, number 20. Well, yeah, okay. So, let's do this. Let's take the link and let's put it into our back channel. And I'll type exhibit visualizations and paste it in there. Um, I accidentally exited out, so a good thing to know about your Google slideshow is you can go to an individual slide. 
clicking down here on the corner will show you all the slides that you have. I think we were on slide 20. Nope, that was Jake. We were on 21. So there it is. And I can rapidly, you know, go back and forth between my slides using that um, button. Website evaluation. So asking students to evaluate a website and then have different questions that they're going to uh, respond to because you can put the hyperlinks in here on the form, right? In the, in the second part, after you do the question, you can have a link and students can link to that and then go back to their form. They can have those two tabs open and go back and forth between them. Um, so this is called Magic Fill. So it says enter two items, highlight them, control, hold, and drag the corner down to fill. Have you seen that before on a, on a fill um, document? It's, it's this idea that if I have several things and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to select them, I can then drag down and it will and it will autofill those. There's lots of things that it will do this uh, sequentially. Like if I start to do the months of the year, January, February, March, and I highlight these, as I drag down, watch what will happen. It just continues to fill them in, the, the, the pattern. Right, and then it will start over. So there's a lot of different autofill options that the spreadsheet does automatically. And I'll sh there's a link that I'll share with also as far as functions that you can do. Um, a tech use survey, you know, find out how many of your kids have internet at home. Are we asking kids to do assignments at home? Are we assuming that they've got internet? You know, I live in Edmond. A lot of people assume, oh, yeah, every kid's got a, a laptop, you know, computer at home. No, they don't. They don't all have internet. So use those results to then improve and change what you're doing at school. Um, a Google form has a tear-off reply slip. So if we're needing permission slips for, you know, some kind of activity that we're doing in class or in, in uh, a field trip, then, you know, your entries can go right into a spreadsheet that you don't share. You keep that. Um, assignment tracking. Um, John Miller is using the spreadsheet to uh, track assignments that are turned in, and he uses a color coding system to provide feedback to the students. Um, anybody know what this link would be since he has an app sign in the front of it? Well, it could, could be email, but probably Twitter, because at uh, is going to be a symbol for Twitter. So if I click that link, Sure enough, here we go to Dave Dodson's website. He is in Ankara, Turkey. And um, so if I wanted to follow him on Twitter, I could click follow since I'm logged in, and I can follow what he is going to be uh, continuing to share. So he's using it with deliberate errors and asking students to find the corrections. So great for foreign language classes. Uh, we were talking earlier about translation. Right, and what was going to be a good translation or not. So we could use translation engines to translate some text, and then we could evaluate how, you know, grammatically correct and how intelligible is, is that um, translation. Um, collaborative writing from notes, so setting, you know, writing tasks for students, and then asking students in groups to contribute a sentence or two. Uh, there's a wonderful presentation that was done last year for the K-12 online conference, and it was by a New Zealand teacher, Rachel Boyd, and it was called Peak for a Week, and in her presentation, which I'll put into the chat here, this is a 20-minute presentation, um, she talks about how her students are writing collaboratively with other students in 
um, Auckland. They were in Nelson, New Zealand, which is on the, well, which is not, not the far northern part of the country. But anyway, that presentation, she was talking about that kind of an activity where students were writing with um, Google Documents and together they were creating um, writing. Did anybody here like the um, Choose Your Own Adventure books in school? Do you remember those? I love those books. And I've even thought, wouldn't it be fun to do that with video? You could have a choose your own adventure, um, you know, video kind of activity. But, but think about doing that with another class, a partner class that you have somewhere, and then, you know, students are going to be adding on. Maybe each day a different student is assigned to write the next sentence or to write the next paragraph or whatever. Um, shared professional writing. So if you're going to work with a student teacher or a co-teacher, you're making curriculum, you're working on your school improvement plan, you're writing your tech plan, all of those things can be done collaboratively, and it can be done privately as well. So until you get the finished document, it can just be shared between the people on that committee. Then when it's all done, you can share it with the world, or you can make a PDF of it and share the PDF. Um, professional development forms, if you're running professional development, you're doing registrations. I use that for our workshop, right? We, well, and I apologize if you didn't get our email sometimes with spam filters and other things like that. The Ever Eventbrite site that I'm using was sending those emails. Um, I needed to find out what people wanted for lunch, you know? Use a Google form to collect that information and that kind of data. Um, learning portfolios. Students, you know, how many of you have a portfolio system at your school? What do you all use for that? Mahara. Do you? Really? Wow. How long have you all been doing that? Uh, yeah. uh, I need to come interview you all if you would be willing to share about that. If you don't, tell, tell us, because people may not know about Mahara. What's Mahara? It's an e-portfolio system. It's, it's really unique. I like it. Was it developed in Australia or New Zealand, somewhere like that? I think? No. So Moodle is like a Blackboard or a WebCT, which allows you to have courses and you have things you do for the week or it can be topically organized. Mahara is set up so that each student has a portfolio. And you're going to collect artifacts over the course of their educational experience and the there's different a, ways you structure there's what those look like. For Moodle mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, my experience with portfolios has been more with the with the colleges of education and paying organizations to have a portfolio that's more used for the institution's benefit, for accreditation, to be able to show here are the artifacts that show our students met, you know, these kinds of objectives. Think about the ways Google Docs can be used as as learning portfolios. As, As students create these different assignments, you know, they can have those archived. Are they going to want to put everything in their portfolio? No. But if they collect a wide body of work, then they can go in and select some of their best examples and then show those off in a portfolio at, you know, for, a, for a conference or you know, uh, for a college application or other things like that. Resume awesome. Um, this is just talking about brainstorming, so embedding a Google form on sites, and then um, also you can embed the form below. And that means that you know, people are using the form to enter in information, and here come the answers. So let's brainstorm, you know, words and that are homophones. And we can use a Google form to do that, and it can let us see those results immediately. The benefit of doing this model, unlike just the shared spreadsheet, is that I can't delete anybody's stuff. The input happens through the form. 
which is submit only. And down here below, I have the examples, or I have the results that I've seen, view only. So I can submit, I can view, but I can't delete. And this was an activity that was with, you know, brainstorming homophones. But you could, you could brainstorm all kinds of things together. The thing they did differently than we're teaching today is they used a Google site to embed both these things. They embedded the form, and then they embedded the result. Data collection for staff, creating a spreadsheet to uh, get student council voting in the home in homeroom, collecting information about a canned food drive, you know, having counts by classroom teacher, you know, because all that information. How much do we do that in school? Where we've got to collect stuff and we send the paper around and collect it. But by having the link, when you share it, anyone with the link, that means they'll be able to fill it out and you'll be able to get that data. So this particular presentation was collected by Tom Barrett, and Tom has asked others to share the tips that they want. So you can email Tom. He will add your tip to this growing document, which right now has 34 <laughs> different slides. Um, he says he's created a page uh, of the Interesting Ways presentation on his blog. He has a link down at the bottom that says, Have you seen Math Maps yet? So, no, I haven't. Um, so, I'm excited to introduce you to a new project we're doing. Um, and here's the elevator pitch for the math maps that they're doing. So, um, yeah, and I mean, the math connections to Scratch, which is coordinate plane stuff, XY coordinates, shapes, you know, movement, and then math in terms of geography and the intersection of, of math with geography is just very, very rich. So that is just one example of a Google presentation that has ideas about how to use Google Docs. And we are really, folks, only getting started in the collaboration and the sharing that's possible because the t these tools that we've been, you know, discussing and, and sharing are... Um, it, it's like they're just starting to go mainstream now. All right, Google Docs is not something everybody's heard of before, but more and more people are hearing about that. And as we have more and more teachers use these tools and share resources, you know, the possibilities are are very exciting. Obviously, there's things that have to be in place with our school network and with our administration supporting and all that kind of stuff. But that is an example of a Google presentation. So I've just used a presentation to share that with you. I'm not going to today go through, I think, the other two Google presentations that I have embedded here. I've got one that's just called Google Docs for Educators and one that's the uh, 10 tips on docs from the Apps EDU Training Center. So those have 18 and 11 slides, respectively. You can take a look at those. You can forward through the slides um, with them in the small embedded version. Pardon me. Or you can click this uh, link here that is a, a little square, and it will make, make it full screen so that you can see it like we did here. What I'd like to do now is take a look at that original document that I shared with you this morning, which had the skills that we wanted to go over and talk about. And then I want to show you some things in Google Presentation and let you create some because it's very similar to PowerPoint, but there are some differences. So, I am looking for my notes. I put it in my secret file folder so I can see it. Um, underneath forms, we got to most of these skills as far as what we talked about, uh, branching. 
I guess maybe one thing that I might not have mentioned was URL shorteners. Did you notice that some of the links in that presentation started with things like bit.ly? That's a URL shortener. Tiny URL is another one. And what these do is take really long addresses, like the ones Google Documents creates, and it gives you a really short address that you can share with other people. So this is handy when you are sending a note home for parents. Here's a survey, parents. I'd like you to take it. Are you going to give them that big, long address? No. You'd want to give them something short. So you will do that by copying the address. And I guess let me, I'll open up one of our surveys and, and show you an example. Here is our survey for who we are and why are we here. So this is going to open in the spreadsheet form. Who can tell me how to get to the live, the live form? How do I get to the Yes. Forms and choose go to live form. Or I could edit it and click at the bottom. All right. This is the long address that I want to share. I mean, look at that thing. That is huge. No way anybody is going to hopefully try to, to type that in. So when I copy it, I can put it here into tiny URL. And when I paste the address here and I say make tiny, it then gives me a short, and it's sort of, I mean, tinyurl slash 2FYSMWN. Now, compared to the other address, that's very short, okay? Now, let me caution you. These are randomly generated. If I didn't have the N on here, I'd go to a different website. I don't know what website that is. I mean, there, you know, there are issues that can come up. But in general, if I use a shortener like this, and this is the address that I put in, watch what happens when I go to this address. It expands out and goes to my form. So URL shorteners are very good to know about in the context of Twitter. And I won't talk at length about Twitter, but if you're not using Twitter, it took me a long time to figure out, this is dumb. I don't know, know what people are doing for breakfast. You know, people are sharing great things on Twitter. And many times people are sharing links. Here's an example. News OK, um, you know, just posted something and there's a link in here. Um, yeah, there's tech, yeah, here's Texas Tech saying, Red Raider fans, cheer on your team. Tickets are on sale. Okay, how did they share that link? With bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y. So that's a URL shortener. And if you're putting something in a newsletter, if you are putting something in a tweet, you can use a shortener to help people get to your website. <laughs> All right. Um, let's look at what we have here under Google Presentation Skills. What I would like for you to do is, along with me, I'm going to just go, go to your Google Docs home, and let's make a new presentation. We're going to walk through a few different possibilities, and then I'm going to let you explore templates that go along with presentations as well as the other document types. We could upload a presentation. Now, the difficulty with this is, and it says here, I'm currently using 20 megs of my uh, one, basically one gigabyte quota ad storage. I have a free account on Google Docs. I've never paid Google for any of my stuff. But there are limits to not only the total number of files, 
but also the individual size files. It says you can upload files up to um, 1,024 megabytes, but I thought that it was limited to, like, yeah, there it is, file types and size limits. Okay, here's the fine print. How did I get here? You can do this right now, too. On Google Docs, click the Upload button. And it tell, it has a link underneath here, File Types and Size Limits. And we had this question earlier about, you know, how big can stuff be? Presentations in Microsoft PowerPoint. What's the biggest they can be? Ten megs. It's, is it easy or hard to get a file today over ten megs? With big pictures. If you've got media that you put in a presentation, very easy to get it large. So, we need to be aware of this, and there are some other options that I listed at the bottom for sharing. Again, think about Google Docs as a great place to collaborate. When I strictly want to just show you my presentation and not have you collaborate, Slide Rocket and SlideShare are really good places. So slideshare.net slash wfryer, I'll drop that link into our chat. I publish a lot of presentations here. Um, this is a presentation I did on Internet Safety and Digital Citizenship uh, for students in Alba, actually, this, uh, this past September. And what's so great about this is, in addition to having all the slides, I can have audio with this. So here, here we go. Thank you very much. So high school students like me. So it is a real honor to be able to spend some time with you all today. All right. I can forward to whatever slide that I want to talk about. I was talking about Mark Zuckerberg. We are talking about cell phones, text messaging. And we started to talk about sexting and cyberbullying. I can push well, play. We're going to talk about those things. We're going to talk a little bit. And you can hear, you know, the recording at that particular point. This lets you do 100 megabytes, okay? So it is a lot more generous as far as size, but there's no editing of this. I can't have somebody collaborate with me like I can with Google Docs. But be aware that there are other choices. This is limited to 10 megabytes. What I recommend uh, having students do is go ahead and build your document inside Google Presentations rather than just uploading your PowerPoint. You can experiment with both. But what you find when you're, up, when you're working with um, the presentation in Google is you won't necessarily take that 5 meg megabyte file. You'll be more aware of the size of things, and you end up making smaller presentations. So what I want you to do is create a new presentation file. And I'm going to step you through a couple of the features of what we can do with the presentation. Just like we did with our forms and our documents, we went to Create New, and we said Presentation. Now, do any of you remember HyperStudio? Did you use HyperStudio back in the day? Uh, it, did anybody like HyperStudio? One of the things I liked about it was the fact that it wasn't wizard-based. In other words, it was pretty open and blank, and there was a lot more creativity that I saw kids use with HyperStudio than a lot of times they do with PowerPoint. A lot of times with PowerPoint, we're very text-oriented, and we, you know, use the same themes and that kind of thing. So, this environment is not going to be identical to what we have in PowerPoint or Keynote, but it's going to be very similar. What's the first thing we probably want to do when we open up a new document? Save as file name. 
That's right. Save it as well. Okay, give it a name. So, how do we do that? Click it. Click it. In a normal file, we would go to File, Save As. In this case, it is going to save it automatically as we go. And we're going to have that Save button. We're going to click at the top where it says Untitled Presentation. And I want you to go ahead and do this now, just as a, for a, as a, as a test document. And go ahead and give your presentation a name. I'm just going to call mine... Um, I'll do mine about Oklahoma City sites. <clears throat> what I'm yes. It would allow you to uh, end the name of it. Okay. So it says it's scripted. Ask for permission. So click up here on this button, click there, and say take it temporarily allowed. And that's it. Because what it's going to do is that pop up, and if you had to approve that pop Something else to notice that's different about the Google presentation environment. Uh, well, first off, let's say, what do you see that's similar in terms of options that are available? We just did the title, and that was the same. What else is the same? Okay, we're going to have themes, and yeah, we've got similarities to um, what we've seen before with with PowerPoint, but in terms of Google Documents, what, did, what have you done before to, uh, today we did with spreadsheets and documents that you see similar here? You can save it, you can share it. Okay, we've got the same lock at the top that says private to me only. They actually changed that in the last, I don't know, six months or something. You used to have, it used to be that you had to go up here to the corner where it said share and choose up, up here, and I, I like the fact that they put that lock there and it visually tells you right away what's the sharing. Okay, It's private. It's Anybody can see it. It's anybody with the link. So that is the same. You also have, uh, in this case, a choice to start a presentation and to be in the, the presenter mode for your, for your presentation, uh, which is different. We didn't have that before. Um, so let's go ahead and put a title on our uh, presentation. Um, I'm going to do mine. I'm just calling mine Oklahoma City Sites. We're going to basically be able to, I'm going to show you how to, add, how to do themes and how to add new slides and how to put in pictures and video. That's going to be um, about, about it. Um, so you can put in your, your title stuff. Generally, we're going to probably use some kind of a theme. I, how many of you have heard of Gar Reynolds and Presentation Zen? Have you all heard of this before? Best book I can recommend to you on presentations called Presentation Zen. Z-E-N. No, he's not going to convert you to Buddhism. Don't worry. Um, what he is going to do is try to end PowerPoint abuse in your life and in the life of your students. Because he is the champion of helping people recognize, well, perhaps a short video will help at this point. Let me... I'm gonna Did I show the, the have you seen that power the PowerPoint abuse before? No. Which one are you what do you think no, of? That? The one that we just saw. Is that kind of well, example let, of yeah, let me show you an example. Um, this is great. I'll I'll put this link in. The five by five. 
Okay, so week nine, this was my curriculum from last year. I'll put this link in. This is Don McMillan, Life, at, Life After Death by PowerPoint. I'll put, I'll put this link in. Again, as a technique, I'm going to play the video and pause it. You might not be able to see this, but it is buffering. It is loading up. So whenever you're playing a video off the web, that's a good thing to do. Play it and pause. Let it start loading. Talk a little bit more. And then hit play. What that hopefully is going to do is stop, stop the stuttering. Because if I just hit play... Depending on our internet speed, it, it may not be fast enough. Okay, so this is a comedian, uh, and I think this is a great way to. There is, a, I think he says the word hell at one point, so I apologize for that. We haven't censored that out, but other than that, this is uh, this is pretty good and appropriate. <laughs>
And there's regions here, by the way. There's the uh, simple but uh, effective region. There's the active but confusing. The uh, effective but boring. The active but ineffective. The dull but static region. The uh, busy but useless. The ADD only region. The uh, useful but amusing. The super but confusing. The dull triangle. The hyper triangle. The sleepy square. The dizzying pentagon. And everything else they just uh, call pointless motion. <laughs> That slide right there took me an hour and a half to make, right there. <laughs> PowerPoint can just suck the life out of you. It's amazing. <laughs> I've also come up with this. It's a kind of a little science I've invented called font analysis. Basically, the font you choose says something about who you are as a person. There's a huge list of fonts, and you choose one, and that says something about you. So be careful the font you choose. For example, if you choose Carrier New, uh, it happens to be my favorite, uh, you're probably organized in structure. If you choose Matisse, it means you're artistic. And if you choose Times New Roman, it means you're lazy, apathetic, and unimaginative, and you always use the default. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of Times New Roman people. Welcome. We have some more. Uh, if you use freehand script, uh, you're a horrible speller, so you try to hide it with a hard-to-read font. <laughs> very smart. If you use Gothic, it means you're very pale and you wear black. And if you choose wingdig, it means you're a nerd and you have no life. In fact, if you know what those symbols mean, you will never have a date. Trust me. <laughs> All right. So that I think yes. That this this link I'll drop it into the back channel. That is called Life After Death by PowerPoint, and I'll go ahead and embed this one into our page as well, so it'll be on on the page. Um, the other thing that's nice to show, well, I don't know if it's nice or if it's depressing, um, there was actually, uh, I thought I had it on this page, the New York Times had an article, um, maybe I had it, I showed it this semester, um, I, I kind of changed my format, and I have resources. So the resources for our Pecha Kucha. Yep. We've met the enemy, and he is PowerPoint. This is New York Times, 26 April 2010. This is literally a chart used in a PowerPoint at the Pentagon to explain our uh, our strategy for engaging the enemy in Afghanistan and um, Iraq. So, you know, we've got folks who are... Pentagon trained, and I was in the Air Force, and I have lots of friends who've done PowerPoints and go to, you know, command and staff college to learn about doing this stuff. Lots of times people are abusing PowerPoint and using it poorly. So the point, and I'll drop this link in as well. The point of all this is to say we probably have seen more poor examples than good examples of presentations. When we teach students how to use a presentation tool, it is an opportunity to raise issues about what makes good presentations. PowerPoint and Google presentations are visual presentation media. When you do a presentation or when your students do a presentation, I encourage you to think about leveraging the power of the visual media. So here is my keynote for Manchester, New Hampshire two weeks ago. Um, in the slides, you're going to see a minimum amount of text. You're going to see a lot of full bleed images, which means they you know, go from side to side. They're high-resolution images. 
and hopefully you're not going to see a lot of data, a lot of text packed in. You know, you're, you're hopefully going to see an example of what I strive for, which is a presentation Zen style presentation. So, large images, a little bit of text. What am I going to talk about here? Well, I can't read the slide. It's insulting for me to read the slide to you. You can, you can actually read silently far faster than I can read to you aloud. So, using images is important. <laughs> that is super like looking We're all waiting for it. So, where are you, Lance? Um, think about this as you talk about presentations. I currently do not really use any transitions at all. I don't use any flying in bullets. Uh, can you do that sort of thing? Yes, you can. Um, but it's easier, I think, to get distracted by those elements and not focus on the message, on what we're trying to communicate. So whether you're using Keynote, PowerPoint, whatever you use, um, I would encourage you to look at presentations in. That video that I just showed you is a, is a fun one to share because it's humor. Humor is a great way to get people to think about things. It's also great to play at the end of your workshop, you know, when we're 320. So um, what's that? Prezi, is it, have you all used that tool? The students, you want to tell just briefly? What oh, I haven't used it with students. I've used it as a student. So Pre Prezi is um, an, a tool that lets you create nonlinear presentations and also just more animated presentations that are um, very creative, I guess. It's I like mean, a PowerPoint, but it's much more creative. You but, but, just have to show one to get understand. Yes. You, you, you can move around and do things. And, yeah. so. But I think there's still an important place for PowerPoint. There's still an important place for Google Documents. So um, let's talk about how we can customize some of these things. With all of that being said, let's choose some of the, the different things we can, we can do here. Um, we have an opportunity to, uh, under format, change the presentation settings. So let's do that in our, in our presentation. Go to format, presentation settings, and choose choose theme. <clears throat> By the way, one of the great things about using Google Presentation is when do you get the new features of the latest version? When Google brings out new, new, new features. When do you get those? you have to wait for the upgrade? Do you have to wait to install? No, it's there. It's available right in the cloud. So if you choose change theme, there are some basic themes that are provided here, which just like PowerPoint, we can customize. I'm personally an advocate and I'm a fan, a fan of, you know, kind of black background and, and white text, but um, there's color analysis that you can look at. Dean Shiresky, who's in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, has a great presentation about design matters, and he talks about the colors and what colors are most effective and which colors are not, you know, very effective. And that kind of thing is important, too. But anyway, change your theme. So all the slides that I have now are going to be using this particular theme. If we want to insert a new slide, there's a couple ways to do it. I'll zoom in here so you can see. Here at the top, I've got a little plus to add a slide, what do you think this one with two boxes on top of each other does? Duplicate, okay? That's the duplicate. Same thing in uh, Google Forms. Uh, we have the pencil, the duplicate, and the trash. All right, this basically those are the same, same three options here. So go ahead and click your plus to add a new slide. And 
you know, how many choices does PowerPoint 2010 have on slide layout? Do you know? <laughs> Is it needed? You know, does that help our, our effectiveness? Um, I don't know, maybe. But this is something just in pre presentations overall is to try and not be distracted by the technology. I think uh, John Nesbitt wrote a book about that, um, talking about how technology can distance and distract us. It's very easy to get distracted. So there's only five choices. My favorite choice usually is the blank one or the caption. And I'm going to just choose the caption. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have some text down here at the bottom, and I'm going to put an image here. All right? When you add an image to a Google presentation, there are two ways to do it. You can add a link to your image, or you can have the image itself that you upload into your Google account. Now, what's the disadvantage of that if you upload the actual file into your account? counts against you, right? You've got a quota. And so it's a gigabyte, it's a lot, but still that counts against you. And if you link to an image, it doesn't count against you. Now the disadvantage is if that site that you link to is blocked in your location, you know, then you can't see it. So we'll talk about downloading these presentations. And that's something you may have your students do when they create so they can actually download them. Where do you all go for copyright-friendly images today? Do you have a favorite site for copyright-friendly pictures? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, notice I didn't just say for images. I said copyright friendly. Good. Compfi is the one that I'm going to recommend. I'm going to drop a link into our back channel, um, which is a link to a presentation that I do as a breakout session called Talk with Media Copyright Friendly Images. And so what we recommend for our Celebrate Oklahoma Voices workshops, and I sort of recommend this whenever I talk about media. These three things, okay? First off, when you use media, do you have it yourself? Do you have homegrown media? Okay, is there a shoebox of pictures? You're interviewing grandma. Can you use her pictures? Ask for her permission. Or public domain. What does that mean? Well, in the context of NASA, it means every picture NASA's ever taken is in the public domain. It can be used non-commercially. It can be used commercially. We could go take a picture. That um, remember that Earthrise picture that the astronauts took from the moon, and you know, looking at the Earth. We could print that on a T-shirt and sell that as a fundraiser at school. Why? Because the image is in the public domain. NASA has, by law, turned over all of its media into the public domain. All right. Next choice is Creative Commons. That means media that people have given permission up front to reuse. And when I share images on my Flickr account and millions of other people as well, we give permission under certain conditions for people to use it, like give us credit, or you give us credit and don't use it commercially. This last choice, fair use, is very confusing. And there's really not a simple way to um, explain fair use, but this is the best way that I've found. This is an excerpt of a 10-minute video that the Stanford Law School hosts called A Fairly Use Tale. So this is um, one minute and 50 seconds, all using Disney clips, explaining to you what fair use means. Crazy. Look, there are um, limitations? Uncopied, right? 
Is it possible? Yes. Copy, right? Maybe broken, but it's <laughs> You can borrow a small Copy, right? Work too. Gonna let you teach that guy a lesson.
What we want to do for Google Presentation is find a direct link to an image. And on <coughs> CompFight, it is going to turn up images that have been shared with, under a Creative Commons license, if we have that checked. And there is an option to get a direct link to the image. So I can, um, under Actions, for a Flickr image, I can say View All Sizes. I'm going, we're going to talk about both ways to insert the media, but I really think, in terms of preserving your space on Google Documents, if you use the links to pictures instead of inserting the pictures themselves, you can put in so many more things because this doesn't take up any of your space. So is one way right or wrong? No, but there's a benefit to copying the link. And in Google Chrome, when I right-click or control-click a picture, it gives me the choice to copy the image URL. Anybody know what URL stands for? That's right. You get the gold star. It means the web address, the Uniform Resource Locator. It, it is the link, right? It is the address that takes us to that picture. If you will copy the link to a picture, and by the way, something else I like about Flickr is here at the top, notice that I have the original <coughs> that I could look at, 2,494 pixels. What do you think for my presentation? Too big? Too small? It's huge. There's no way I need it that big. Okay. How about this one, 1024 by 836? Even that might be a little big. I can go ahead and copy that one. Um, the medium one might be adequate. The point is, I can choose a smaller version, but I also could have a real big one because, you know what? Maybe I want to point out the fact that these smaller chairs have significance at the memorial, and I want to talk about that in my presentation. Once you've copied the link... This is what you can do in Google Presentations. And if you do not have um, an image that you've copied the link for, that's okay, because any image that you have on your computer, you can also insert. What menu choice or icon do you think we're going to use to put in pictures? What's that? A little frame. A little frame, okay. If you look at, always more than one way to do it. If you look at the menu bar, the insert menu is where we're going to put in videos, we're going to put in images, text, shapes, all those kinds of things. If you want to use the buttons, it is supposed to look like a picture frame, I think, that maybe has a mountain in it, and does it have a sun? No, maybe not. That does the same thing as insert image. There are two different choices here, and you can do either one right now. You probably have you know, a picture somewhere on your hard drive inside my documents, my pictures. Just like you do a file attachment, you can attach the file, and it will actually go into your Google Docs account. And it will count against you, but it's okay. You've got a gigabyte of space. I mean, I've been using it for years now, and I've got you know 20% of my, um, my space taken. So I've never had to buy space. Instead of doing that, though, I am going to paste the image URL. And it's the full address. And notice on my screen, what does this end with? What letters? JPEG. JPG. So just like a digital camera, uh, JPEGs have millions of colors or thousands of millions of colors. That's what you want to specify with an image URL. It's not the address of the page that has it. It's the specific address of that picture. 
And when I do that and I click OK, Google Presentation <clears throat> usually does a nice job of making that image fit perfectly on my slide. Okay? This image may actually be bigger than that, but it has resized it so that it can fit here on my slide. Now, as a technique, sometimes I will use the caption here at the bottom. And one of the things that I can do is I could give credit for the image. So here on the Google, or I'm sorry, on the Flickr site, there is this link to this image. And there's the name, the person who's created it. I can copy this link and then put it down here and say image uh, from Flickr. And I could say CC image. And just as we did with our document this morning, I can make this a link. Think about how much more useful it is to have an attribution link right here on my presentation that I can click on right away and be able to go to the source rather than the usual, which is a list at the end, which is not hyperlinked, which is not clickable, which is essentially useless because probably people are not going to take the time to type that link out and actually go to it and check it. So, one of the things I would encourage you to consider doing with students and just with the presentations that you do yourself, <clears throat> if I flip back to my keynote, you see what I have here on my keynote slide? <coughs> I've got a Creative Commons little image, and then I've got the person who created it. On many of my slides, I will also have... Um, Got to go to a picture that I didn't take. Well, here's the link. All right? That's one I took. But um, I think that kind of attribution is much more useful, again, than what we typically see, which is at the end, a non-clickable um, you know, summary of, of results. So when people view this presentation, they will be able to click on my link here at the bottom if they want and they can go see the site where that image came from. And, of course, that person had a collection of images. So if people want to see images of the memorial, they're going to be able to see the other images that that person collected or, or posted. Let's uh, talk about adding a video, and then I think we're going to do drawing, and we're going to be about done. We're almost ready to wrap up. Um, has anybody put a video before into a Google presentation? What is the disadvantage? Make a new slide, um, and then let's find well, let's find a, a video that you want to put in. Which which layout do you think is good if we're going to put a video in? Probably blank, yeah, blank, or maybe caption to put in there. What's going to be the disadvantage of putting a video inside my Google presentation or list some of them? What's that? Okay. In, in the case of a video, it is always going to be embedded. So if it was following the same formats or options as the um, as the pictures, then it would give us two choices. You want to put the actual picture in there or the link. It will only let me embed it. So it actually won't count against me. It's going to embed it and still run it from YouTube. So it, it won't count against my space. Can anybody think of another well, another reason? What I've seen is you can only use Google and YouTube videos. Yes. <clears throat> it doesn't let you use videos from any other place. So it's limiting. And what do we know about YouTube and a lot of our schools? It's blocked. Okay? So you've got content 
filtering issues. Um, you also have bandwidth issues. Here at the Coco, have you been generally okay with the bandwidth and the speed today? I mean, we've been able to stream our broadcast, and I've had to reclick a couple times, but overall, I've been very pleased. We haven't had the whole network shut down, and it hasn't come to a crawl. That happens a lot in the afternoon in our schools, depending on how much internet connection we have. So, um, there's benefits and there's drawbacks. Benefits is you're going to share something with a parent. You're going to send them a link. You don't have to attach this big old, you know, PowerPoint file that they've got to download and then, oh, shoot, they didn't have PowerPoint 2010. Or there's all those compatibility issues. If it's on the web, they click a link, they should be able to see it. <clears throat> but there's other disadvantages, too. First step is to find a video that you want to share. So if you want to get this Don McMillan Life After Death by PowerPoint, um, I put that into our uh, chat here. It says Life After Death by PowerPoint, and you can copy that link if you want to and use it. We are going to insert a link into our Google presentation by going up to the Insert menu. There's not a shortcut here on the bar. <clears throat> and we're going to choose video. I think it may let us choose Google Video too, but Google Video is not like active anymore. So, um, what I did was I pasted the link here at the top, <clears throat> and it found the video up here at the at the top. Um, I it. Google Sites is more flexible than this because it just uses the direct link to put it in. And sometimes you can have difficulty having the correct video um, come up. You can, of course, type keywords and you can get all kinds of things that you know, can come up. But this is what it looks like when you embed the video. It embeds it as a rectangle. <clears throat> you can resize this rectangle. And it's good to know... In addition to dragging it around, you can use your cursor keys. And if you want to make more precise adjustments, you can hold down the shift key. So when I hold down shift and say move left and right, this works with images too. It'll just make really small incremental adjustments. This presentation now has a title slide, a picture of the memorial with the chairs, and an unrelated video that has nothing to do with that. Maybe I should get, maybe I should get a video. Um, I'll say Oklahoma City Memorial YouTube, and I can go to my search results up here, click on videos, and now I'm just going to see videos. This would be this would be better for me to do. Here is um, the Oklahoma City National Memorial walking tour. This is actually produced by the memorial, their official channel. So I'm going to copy the address of this. How do you think I'll delete this one? I could delete the whole slide, correct, by deleting it here. How about if I just want to delete my embedded video? Click on it and press delete. Very good. And then I can insert another one. So in this case, I'm going to paste in the words to the title, and here it comes up. All right, so here's the video. So this is going to be much more thematically appropriate to, my <clears throat> to the topic of my presentation. Now that I have done this, how do I share it? 
I want to send it to you. This is my this is my book report. This is my assignment. You've already learned how to do this today, but not in presentations. So the same techniques we talked about will work here. How am I going to share it with you? Just click on the share, and you can tell it to share if you have the link, or you can share it for everybody. Okay, good. There, that's option one is in the upper right corner. Click the share. The next option would be we talked about today. Where else can we click? The lock. Okay, click the lock. Either way, it's going to bring up your sharing options, and you can change the settings at the top. If I don't know your email address, I have those same choices, anyone with the link or public with the link. I'll say anyone with the link. And how about editing? Think I want to let anybody edit it? No. I'm usually going to individually authorize editing with an email address. Only in certain limited circumstances would I recommend opening a document for everybody to edit. And when I save this, at the top, it gives me my link. All right? So now, when I share this link, what are the ways I can share the link? It's too late to ask this question to us. <laughs> How would you share a link? Put it on your site. Put it in your back channel. Put it in your email. Put it in a newsletter. Okay. I think the best way is to put it on your site. Right? If you have a site and you train your kids, you train your parents, hey, this is where we share our stuff. This is our learning portal for our class. That's where they can come to be able to get to the presentation. I'll drop that link into our back channel. And so now any of us can go to that link and it will... Um, allow us to view it, and when I click Start Presentation, now I can share my presentation, and when I get to the slide on the video, I'm going to need to still click Play to advance it. But then it should start to play. Again, as a technique, it's a good idea to pause it, let it buffer a little bit, and then play the video. I have only been doing Google Presentations really for the last year, and, but what I have found is it's more, in some respects, it's more work up front. But wow, is it powerful as far as the sharing? Because not only am I giving you my slides, I mean, I'm giving it all to you. You can, you can do it. The presentation I showed you earlier of 32 ways to use Google Docs in the classroom, take that. Use that. That's why Tom Barrett created it. That presentation is ready to go for, for anybody to take it and use it. So perhaps that's the last thing to mention here, and then we'll talk a little bit about drawing and we're going to be done. <clears throat> what can I do with this if I don't want to play it off of the Internet? Go up to your file menu, and I want you to mouse over Download As. When we did this for Google Documents, we had PDF and Word and Rich Text File and ODT or ODF or something like that. Okay? Here we have fewer choices. We have PDF, PowerPoint, and text. When you download the PDF and the PowerPoint, they will not include the videos. It will make a still picture of your video and have a slide there, but it won't actually have the video. So you will need to either embed the video in your PowerPoint or Keynote, put a link to it to play it off the web. What I like to do, I told you about Kiss and Kick YouTube. <clears throat> I have a whole folder on my computer. In fact, this is why I'm not I'm thinking to get a MacBook Air now because I can't. 
go lower than a 250 gig drive. This folder is just filled with videos. These are all videos about all different kinds of things. And it's very handy to have those copied offline so I don't have to, oh shoot, YouTube's locked here. Oh no, it's slow internet day. I can't, you know, play the video. So you'll need to put your videos in again. But all your pictures will be there. Your text will be there. And I personally think that the simplicity of not having 400 layout choices, it's not that many, but, you know, having 20 layout choices, um, all the different options, we, ought, we really ought to try and have a renaissance of simplicity with PowerPoint with our students, focus on, you know, using these large images, thinking about presentations in. Presentation skills, it's not about reading. It's about presenting. And presenting is different than reading the, you know, the words off of the slide. Um, those are all good things to talk about with students. Questions about Google presentations? Silly question to ask with that 350. Do we have any questions in the back channel? Do we still have some folks with us? <laughs> We don't. They've left. <laughs> we have zero viewers at this point online. <clears throat> okay. Last thing to talk about just real briefly, and I'm not going to be able to give this justice, is Google Drawing. How many of you have used Google Drawing before? Google Drawing was added, I don't know when. Here, let's, let's find out. I'm going to go Wikipedia, Google Drawing. sure I can't find the answer readily, but basically I think it's been in the last couple of months, maybe the last six months that they've added Google Drawing. Um, if you go to the insert menu on Google Drawing, this is going to work similar to the same way spreadsheets and documents and presentations work, except you're going to be able to create and then collaborate with someone with a um, what I think is a vector-based uh, art environment. So you're going to title your... Um, your drawing at the top, and you're going to be able to create a variety of different shapes. You're going to be able to make lines and arrows. Um, if you go down to the shape, take a look at how many things pop up here, all these different shapes that you can create. So think about this as an environment to make flowcharts. Describe a process. You're going to be telling me about mitosis and uh, cell repli replication. Let's create um, a flowchart that shows that process here using these different um, tools. Once I select a tool, if you look up at my screen, I'm going to click and drag to decide how large or small that particular object is. Around an object, I have handles. And depending upon the handle I click on, it might let me stretch that vertically. It might let me squeeze it horizontally. And I can hold down my shift key to maintain what's called an aspect ratio. But that's particularly important when I've got an image and I don't want to make my people look fat or skinny. You know, I want to maintain the, the proportion, which is called the aspect ratio. Um, but you are going to be able to insert um, text boxes. You're going to be able to insert word art. So, you know, similar to things that we can do um, in a desktop, I'm not trying to think of. Um, one of my favorite applications was C 
Claris Works drawing, the drawing environment. And if you download OpenOffice, which for the Mac is called NeoOffice, they have a drawing application. It's paid, I'm not thinking about page layout, what am I thinking of? An application that lets you take, like, um, like PageMaker, what, what, what's the category of those apps? Yeah, what are those called? Page layout? Those page layout apps? So it's similar to that. I mean, Word is not a great environment to lay out different elements. Can you do it? Yes. But it's really set up for individual lines of text, and then you lay objects on top that wrap and, and do different things on top of it. So the drawing environment is going to let you create more flexibly, and you can purely do something that's graphical, or you can also think about this as more of a page layout environment where you can have text boxes um, and you could move those, um, use those uh, text boxes to, um, you know, have students create a poster, um, some kind of a diagram. And what's going to be nice about this, this may be my last thing about it, this is obviously a highly complex, amazing drawing. Just stunning. <clears throat> I can now take this object and put it in to different documents and, and use it in different places. So when I have my notes on Google Skills, just like I inserted an image or I inserted a link, <gasps> I've got a drawing. And when I say insert a drawing, it gives me the choice of creating a drawing here, and huh, I was thinking that I could insert the, the other drawing that I had done. Maybe I have to do that inside a site. As I mentioned, I have not, um, I haven't done a whole lot with Google Drawing. It looks like when you choose to do that inside a document, it gives you your own window and it doesn't let you do that separately. But I'm positive I could go into my Google site and put in my drawing. So just is going to be a more flexible environment for having different kinds of graphical elements along with text elements that you're going to want to lay out. And um, it's pretty new. I haven't seen a lot of examples of instructional use of Google Drawing, and that will be a good thing to add in the same workshop handout that we use today for all of our resources is the one that I'll continue to update, you know, as I do this workshop further. In fact, what I'll probably do the next time I teach this is I'll make a backup copy. I'll duplicate this. So this will be the version we use, December 14th, and then the new version will be there as well. That's another great thing. Just like the spreadsheets, we saw how we could duplicate the worksheet. Um, very practical and relatively easy to do that. All right, it is 3.56. It's always silly to ask for extended questions, you know, at the end, but does anybody have uh, a question that they would like to ask? All right, well, I am going to be sending you by, via email a, an evaluation for today, and I would really value that. This is the first time I've done a workshop like this where I've actually just said, oh, I think I'm going to rent out a space and invite people to come. And I'm excited that this worked. Uh, I hope that, that you learned a lot. I'm going to hopefully do a workshop after Christmas on the 29th that will be at Presbyterian Health Foundation on uh, applications for iPad, iPhone, and iPod Touch for productivity and fun. And uh, I will send you information about that. And I, my Facebook advertising 
In three and a half hours, I said, just show people that live within a 50-mile radius of Oklahoma City that like Google technology. Three and a half hours, 33,500 people had seen the ad and 13 people clicked on it. So compared to the Oklahoman, which wants $535 for a business card, you know, business card size ad, one day of the paper and one page of that. So I will be sending you that evaluation. The links are going to remain accessible indefinitely. Um, I'll also send you a link to our back channel that has the links and other things that we shared. Uh, we've got the audio. Don't know that you want to use that, but it's available. And you do have some of the, of the video um, that's available. But I really will welcome your feedback in terms of how we can make this sort of an experience um, better. I appreciate you all helping each other and being patient with our technical issues as they arose, and I wish you the best of luck as you apply these tools and techniques in your own environment, wherever that happens to be. If you want, um, I do I do actually have cards, so if you'd like to have one of my cards, I've got a card up here you can grab, uh, but you can always Google me as well, and be happy to help any of you all out with professional development in your schools, or thinking about Google tools, or other kinds of things as well. Thank you all very much. Yes, and we will be here tomorrow and uh